Hello, hey. everybody. <laughs> I love you, Zach. Hello, everybody. I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And this is MC Car Guys Podcast. You can find us on all the social media at MC Car Guys. Yep, and drop us a line at mzcarguys uh, at gmail.com or hit us up. Uh, follow us on anchor.fm forward slash mzcarguys. Uh, Matt, what are we talking about today? What's on the menu, sir? Honda. And I have, I have a soft spot in my heart for Honda. Uh, I think we all do. I mean, if you really sit back and think about it, I mean, everybody's known somebody who's had a Honda or currently has a Honda or there's this, you know. So um, how do I describe Honda? So in the era that Matt and I grew up in, because <clears throat> um, we're old fogies, um, we had a lot of uh, the romantic comedies, uh, can't buy me love um 16 candles what was another one uh what pretty in pink pretty in pink my gosh how could i forget that one anyways um and honda to me is always like the the nerdy ugly girl at the very beginning of the movie and she goes through this makeover and oh no she's actually pretty but at heart, she's still this nerdy, quirky girl. Right. She never really gets full of herself, and she, you love her all the more because of it. Exactly. Yes. And, and that really, truly kind of describes the essence of Honda. Um, you know, I, I... But what Honda is, is it's... it's it's the fruit of one individual. So how Honda functions, how Honda thinks, um, it, it, it all has to do with the vision of their founder. And, 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 and Suchihiro Honda, he, he really truly, um, he had a dream which is why you have dream as part of all of this type of thing. Um, but one of the, you mean all the marketing? Yeah, but, yeah, okay. but, but more so than the marketing. Cause unfortunately when it, when it comes to marketing, Honda is a fantastic engineering company. <laughs> <laughs> Seems um, to be. It, yeah. Um, you know, they, 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 they've had a couple of decent marketing campaigns, uh, most of which are confusing <laughs> sometimes. They, so they, they, they tend to miss more often than they hit, for sure. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't matter. I mean, in, in the end, it doesn't really matter because, you know, Honda is the, the fifth or sixth largest automotive you know, manufacturer in the world, um, as far as automobiles, um, as far as actual building of gasoline engines, Honda is the largest manufacturer of gasoline engines in the world um, by a very large margin. Um, and they have sold so many motorcycles um 
one of which uh, the uh, the the Super Cub is the largest, or sorry, the 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 number one selling uh, automobile. So if you kind of consider if you consider motorcycles and automobile, which in, in essence they are, um, you know, in the basic definition of the word, um, Honda has you know the 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 Super Cub is by far the the oh, largest i've been making I, it since the 60s virtually unchanged yeah and there's no reason to to go anything different um but i i think i think i am correct in saying and and i don't think it's too much of a leap to say that asia was built on the back of a Honda motorcycle. Modernized. I'll give you modernized. Sorry, modernized. Yeah, yeah. So Asia Asia was modernized and grew on the back of a Honda motorcycle. Yeah, I mean, just just travel to Thailand, uh, India. uh, Pick your Southeast Asian country of choice, Vietnam especially, you know, like just go to the Top Gear special. It's it's a, it's it's thick with Super Cubs. Doesn't matter where you go, you know, pretty much. But we we definitely don't want to get into motorcycles too much, except as a landing point to say that that's where the automobile division started. Um, and so Ichiro Honda, because pronunciation matters to me. Um, yeah, it, of course. It, yeah, absolutely. Incredible guy. And after World War II, he started from nothing, and eventually he brought us cars. Well, to to give you an idea and into into who uh, Soichiro, <clears throat> Soichiro, yeah. You can to give you, but but to, to give you an idea of of who he was. Now in in the in the history of automobiles, there's been a few standout individuals. I think we can say without argument, W. O. Bentley. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Ford, for the most part, as far as his willpower and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mr. Uh, and Mrs. Benz. Mr. and Mrs. Benz. Uh, more Mrs. Benz than Mr. Benz. Ironically. <laughs> Ironically. Um, you have, um, uh, you know, William C. Durant. Um, you also have uh, Ransom Olds and stuff. But I don't think any of them can i think the only person that really kind of is similar ish to mr honda uh would be maybe um citroen i think citroen is is definitely um kind of sort of but 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 to, I'm, I'm just going to tell one story uh, right off the bat of, of, of Mr. Honda and, and, and what he did. So when he first started, so he, he, he at first in, in his early days, um, you know, back in the, in the twenties and thirties, um, he basically just kind of was a mechanic at a, at a, at a garage, at a local garage around his place. Um, and he liked to tune cars. He liked to race cars. Uh, we'll come back to this particular theme, you know, later on as far as racing cars and stuff like that and racing in general. 
Um, and in 1937, um, he founded, I'm not even going to try it, uh, but the Eastern, per- Eastern Sea Precision Machine Company, um, making piston rings. Um, and he, they, they won a contract um, with supplying piston rings to actually Toyota, of all places, um, but the problem is, is that they lost the contract because the piston rings were of a poor quality. Now, what he does is, is he goes and starts attending engineering school, doesn't graduate. He then starts visiting all around Japan, different manufacturing, uh, different manufacturing, uh, factories. And he, what he wanted to do was, and, and what, what, how we got into last, uh, last week was Toyota's kind of processes, how, you know, that, that, that their, their quality control was just so on point with everything. And he wanted to figure out, okay, how do you do this? And he became a student he understood, look, I do not have the information I need. I need to go and get this. And so basically he mind engineered himself out of this particular problem. And he was able to get the, um, you know, he, he was able to get the contract back, uh, unfortunately, just in time for World War II. Um, the other thing that he was able to do is he invented a process of um, of uh, how do I put this um, of mass producing airplane uh, propellers. Now I know I know that sounds weird, um, but airplane propellers were actually very difficult to make in mass production. Because uh, you, you have to make sure that they're balanced. You have to make sure that they, you know, that that everything works on them and so forth. Um, but he invented a way to do this. So it's 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 his tenacity of, hey, look, I got this. I lost this. I failed at this. But now I need to relearn and figure this out for myself. So I, I, I think that really kind of speaks to, to who he is. So. All right. So uh, this is a car show, uh, ostensibly. So let's skip ahead a bit. World War II ends. Uh, the Japanese economy is in shambles, as we've spoken of before. And uh, Mr. Honda is realizing that nobody can afford a car. Everybody's buying motorcycles. And he's there at the right place at the right time making motorcycles right he has his own well, company yeah right? and, and what they did was is it was him and about a dozen guys and it's it's actually kind of funny uh so at the end of world war ii part of the part of the whole um uh the the, the whole uh agreement of the ceasefire and you know and, and the surrender of japan and so forth was that they would destroy all of their wartime stuff 
you know, so, so every, everything that they had, you know, that they would just destroy. Yeah. So there were about 500, uh, radio generators. So radios that they were able to kind of like use to communicate within the whole military and everything like that. So there was just a huge surplus of these, of these engines that, that were, were used as for generators. So he got a hold of 500 of these things and just mounted them to bicycle frames. And that's how Honda motorcycles began. <laughs> hey, I like it. Use what you got. Make it work. A- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of uh, interesting. I mean, you know, and, and he went from that and then in the early sixties, you know, they, he made uh, very small, uh, you know, very small kind of cars and stuff like that. Mostly, you know, just for the Japanese market, you know, there wasn't anything, you know, cause they were all motorcycle engine powered vehicles and stuff. Um, interesting thing. So one of, one of the most, one of the cars that he built, which was uh, the S800, uh, which is this kind of uh, convertible two-seater open roadster kind of a thing, um, and and one of the one of the interesting things about that is is that the S800, which was kind of never really sold in America, some of them were imported to America. Um, but the earlier version, which was the S600, had this really cool, uh, instead of being like a drive shaft and an actual live axle, um, like, like, like the S800 had, like almost all cars at that, you know, at that you know, front engine rear drive had, um, the, the S600, um, like a lot of the other earlier vehicles that Honda made, was actually chain drive. And the S600 had two chains that went to the rear axle, but there was this box. And if you got to this hill that was particularly really steep, you could actually get underneath and quickly switch out the chain from one uh, from one one gear ratio to another gear ratio and get up the hill. So basically they took, they built a four, a four wheeled motorcycle essentially. Yeah, basically. You know, with the chain drive. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the first car that's, <clears throat> well, the car that's officially documented as being the first car, first Honda, I should say, sold in the U S is the N 600, which yes. It's and I'm gonna paint in broad strokes here, but basically, if you think of it as a Japanese Mini Cooper, you're not far off. Uh, so. no, the Mini Cooper was quite large compared to the N600. I'm painting in broad strokes. Yes. Uh, so front wheel drive, transverse engine. I would paint in very very small strokes. <laughs> very small. Um, it was not, they did not take into, a, into account the size of Americans being much larger than Japanese people did, people were. Um, and, and there was a little special um, that Honda did where it turns out that this guy in LA who's an N600 specialist actually was able to yep. find VIN mm-hmm. 001, the very first one. And there was a big uh, special. So. Yeah, if, if you guys ever want to really treat yourself to something, um, watch uh, the, the, the restoration videos 
on YouTube of of the ends of of, uh, of serial number one. It's, yeah, that, uh, that's the name of the series, by the way. It's called Serial One. S E R I L A L. But if if you're into details, if you're into you know the little bits of this and that, it's great. Otherwise, give it a shot, but don't invest a whole lot of time into it. It's 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 pretty nerdy in a beautiful beautiful <laughs> way. If you follow, if you read Jalopnik on a regular basis, you're gonna love it. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much all you have to say at that point. Yeah. Um, but there's a part of me that secretly wants to drive an N600 just to see how badly I fit. Um, I, I, um, I don't know where one is that you can drive, but I know where there is one that, that you can sit in. And I, <laughs> I'd pay money to see that. Uh, well, well, okay, to give you guys a basic example. Okay, so imagine a guy, the general height and length of Matt Farah, but just like two thirds as wide. And you have the general idea of that's kind of where I sit. Um, <laughs> in terms of size so yeah. you know if matt ferris sat in one yes it was modified it had a i want to say a hayabusa engine in it but uh i'm not sure i know it was a motorcycle engine yeah and an s600 but anyway so so that car did not do very well for many reasons um but basically because it was too small but mr honda wasn't willing to give up right he tried again and, yeah. and like zach was saying there's a they, they kept getting better they they sort of took a took the temperature of the market they saw what was doing well and yeah work with that and the first car that did well was the civic yeah and the civic i mean the so yeah uh yeah in, in 1972 so when you when you look at you know we what we refer to as the dark days um of, of the automobile industry for honda especially it was the golden days um you know where where they basically were you know just making you know ma- making money hand over fist um and really kind of working themselves into the uh the market the so so whenever we t- we talk about the the dark days so one of the things that happened in and, and we're referring to America in general, or, or America more in specific, and that is you had the emission standards in 19, beginning in 1973 became really, really strict for, uh, or really, really restrictive on a lot of cars. And so American manufacturers who had been building these big huge you know breathe you know earth fire breathing v8s that just guzzled tons of gas and you know just spewed whatever came out of the back end of it um you now had to put a catalytic converter on it now you had to put a smog pump on it air pipes and all of this other stuff and etr valves and blah 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 and it, it it was taking engines that were producing well over 300, 400 horsepower. And by 1975, they're producing 200 max. Yeah. The, the average, the average V8 was American V8 was putting that at 150 horsepower. Yeah. And, and, and it was just insane. And here comes, um, you know, and now mind you, this is towards the, the end of the 60s when it's been announced, hey, 
we're going to have this emission standard. And what was really funny was, is that he was able to, they, so, so, so the big three manufacturers came to, uh, you know, the, the EPA, you know, the, the, you know, the environmental protection agency and said, Hey, we're not going to be able to do this. There's no way in the world that we're going to be able to do this. And one of the people who said, sure we can was Mr. Honda. And he said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not a problem. We can do it. And, and the CVCC engine. And they invented the CVCC engine. Now, what's not widely known is that when he did that, uh, the engineers had no idea that he had said this. And he basically went back to them and said, okay, now it's time to make, make, make whatever I said happen. <laughs> right. Figure out. And I, I said we could do it, and I'll just figure out how to do it. Yeah, exactly. Once again, here's a problem. Let's engineer our way out of this. And so they came up with the with the CVCC engine, compounds compound vortex controlled combustion. Um, it wasn't a very powerful little thing, um, but it was extremely effective. Right, um, and, and when your cars don't weigh very much, it's not that big a deal, right? You had even in the early '80s, you had cars that weighed two thousand pounds soaking wet, and eighty five horsepower and ninety pound feet of torque was more than enough when the when the national speed limit was 55 you're fine yeah Yeah, exactly and so i mean you know and and they even took uh because uh, a challenge was made um i can't remember there was somebody i believe at general motors that made this some kind of challenge of hey you know that you know i'm sorry would you like would you like me to clarify yes please Okay, so I love this story. So please, um, I think I have all the details, Zach, but please step in if I don't. Um, Basically, someone at at GM essentially said, there is no way that our V8 engine can possibly be made to meet these emission standards, and it's going to cost us so much money to make a new engine to do this, (laughs) that will bankrupt us. Essentially, that was the gist of the statement that they made. And Mr. Honda said, uh, he then bought, we don't we don't know how officially or what by what back means essentially he bought and off it, the it, was, it was it was unofficial oh, okay thank you um you know so that he was getting just a standard crate type type engine um took it back to japan had his engineers go through it and said here make this thing meet emissions and he brought the engine back i want to say six months later it might have been quicker than that handed it back to gm and yeah. said how long was it it was about a year and a half. It was about a year and a half to two years. Oh, and, wow. and, okay. and, and, and the thing that they said was, is because he was talking about his, his CVCC engine and how great and how wonderful and fantastic it was. And they said, yes, but this is not scalable. You can't do this on a large displacement engine. And so they took a 350 and made it happen. <laughs> they, made, they made it pass emissions. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they basically yeah. said General Motors said it can't be done, and Mr. Honda said, "Here you go, we yeah. did it." And and they made it pass emissions, mind you, with no emissions equipment. All they did was they is way is they is they took what they learned from making the CVCC intake systems and and combustion chambers, and just reworked 
the upper end of the I, I don't even think they changed anything on the lower end they everything was on the upper end and they changed it and it was able to pass emissions uh quite handily without any you know egr valve or smog pump or any any of that stuff uh, the, the, yeah the cvcc the cvcc engine never required a catalytic converter nope which in the mid 70s because you still had uh leaded gasoline was still available um that was a big problem you couldn't put leaded gasoline in with the catalytic converter because it would clog it up super fast that was actually right. one of the advertisings of of honda which was hey it doesn't care what gas you put into it it's pretty amazing yeah uh, just want to talk briefly about a couple of things too which is that so when honda first got going they started selling some cars you know we're talking about uh civics and then in 76 they launched the accord so this is getting into the mid to late 70s yeah there are many stories too many to be just, just apocryphal of people taking in their car for an oil change and the technicians there in in the u.s dealerships who had been trained by honda were discovering things like leaking oil gaskets um leaking heads uh pretty significant problems and the edict that came back from honda was any problem you find like that in the engine i want you to fix it while you're changing the oil don't tell the client don't charge them for it just give them the car back like nothing happened because we need to make sure that these cars have have a sterling reputation for reliability and we'll figure out the cost later yeah and and, and i'll get in i'll get into this <laughs> with with how because that, that same thing that happened in the late, you know, into the 70s and the 80s and stuff like that with that, the same basic idea, uh, we're, we're going to we're, we're revisit this, this same, you know, uh, uh, yeah, but we're going to, we're going to revisit this of the, you know, basically the same thing a little bit later. So, but yeah, but then you had the Accord, uh, which was 1976. And then um, you're in 19, hold on, I want to say this. When was it? 1983. So 1983, um, something happened that uh, hadn't happened before. And that was a factory producing a foreign manufacturer's vehicle was founded in the United States. We told you last week, you know, that we, we would get to that, but it's Honda in Marysville, Ohio. And every single Honda Accord, save for a few Honda Accord hybrids, every single one of them have been made in the exact same plant, since 1983 in Marysville, Ohio. The, yep. the, yeah, the 83 year model run, the East Coast got the uh, East Coast and, Mid and Midwest got the Marysville, Ohio cars. The yep. West Coast got the Japanese cars because the factory is still coming up online. Yep. And to this day, almost no one can tell the difference in how they drive. Nope. Nope. So it's pretty, pretty astounding. Um, and just for sake of clarification, for sake of uh, full disclosure, my first car ever was an 83 Honda Accord uh, four-speed automatic and it was beige on beige and I still miss it. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I had a, I remember I had a, a neighbor's uh, down the street that they had a Honda Accord. I can't remember what year it was, but uh, I remember that was just, I mean, the, the things are just absolutely just bulletproof. So one of the things, and I, and I think we do need to kind of bring this up. And if, 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 if Honda has a dark side, which I don't think they do, but if they did have any kind of dark side ish, it's that I, I think we can all agree that Honda has made some fantastic, wonderful cars, excellent quality. Um, you know, there are some that, that, that handled pretty well. There's, you know, Honda's always try to focus on, you know, kind of like the, there's this connection between the driver and the car, you know, and that type of a thing. Um, but a, 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 you know, really good economy it has to uh there's this idea at honda that you know you you have a responsibility to the community that you're putting your product out into it has to make the community better in some way so out of all of these cars that honda has ever made honda has never made a cool car And I love the silence that follows that statement. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, because immediately what you start doing, right, is you start cataloging all cars that they made. Yep. And and the, the one, believe it or not, the one that immediately comes to mind and the one that I, I'd like to, because I'd like to have an argument about this. We might have to, we don't want to deep dive on the argument too much because the history is what matters today. Yes. But I have to wonder about the Integra-type R. So... So here's my, I, I, I think one of the first things we have to do is we have to establish a foundation. And, and the number one thing that we have to establish of the foundation is that Matt and I know nothing about cool. <laughs> no idea. We're just, it, we're so completely uncool that if cool saw us, we, it, it would just absolutely just walk away. Well, to be fair, you do drive an electric vehicle with an 85-mile range. It's 89. Thank you. So that's just an example just right off the top. And I drive a 2002 car that was made by an American manufacturer. And I'm not proud. Yeah. Anyways. So, so, so I think we've established that we don't know cool. But going along with the same, um, you know, kind of using uh, top, the, the old Top Gear where they did the cool wall. And, and, and there were certain things that would kind of impact, you know, whether or not something was cool or whatever. Um, I, I think we can kind of use that a little bit um, kind of to this. And so when... Th there's there's a lot of contenders that that Honda builds uh the NSX being definitely one of them uh the 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 the, the type Rs um and I think I need to clarify when I say Honda's never built a cool car 
I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to specify in the American market. I don't know enough about the Japanese market, the JDM, um, specifically um, the, uh, the K cars. Um, like I know, uh, I, I think like the Honda Beat could be a cool car kind of a thing. It's kind of yeah. small and quirky and stuff like that. More, more likely the S660, but go ahead. Yeah. So, so the reason why I say that is because there's, there's always this one, at least one thing that really kind of kills off any kind of coolness when it comes to a Honda car. Um, and, 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 and I'll get to the, to the Integra Type R in just a second um, to kind of have that little argument with you. But, but I think, you know, one of the first things we need to talk about is the NSX. So the NSX. The first gen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first generation NSX. Um, it was so close to cool. So close to cool. And, and I would dare to say that the first edition of the first generation NSX was, was cool. Uh, I mean, a, a car that is, that was basically built to Aaron Senna's um, instructions and, and insight and, you know, to build, you know, uh, you know, to, to set up how it handled and set up how the engine delivered the power and all of this other stuff. Um, you know, that made it really, really cool. The thing that I think counteracted that is the fact that the, the body was so stiff and the suspension was so taut that if you just drove it normally, it would wear out the wheel. It would wear out the tires unevenly very quickly. There were also people who complained about the harshness of the ride and so forth. And so Honda to, you know, to, in, in this, in this whole aspect of, you know, Hey, there's something wrong. We need to fix this. Not realizing that the car was fine the way it was. People needed to get used to how to drive it, but that's not the Honda way they had to fix it. So in 97, they actually, soften the suspension they actually gave the body a little bit more you know a, a little more you know they, they lessened the rigidity of the body and so forth so that the tires wouldn't wear out and just for anybody who is interested in this kind of thing so visually the way you can tell the difference is uh the first edition had the pop-up headlights the second edition had the fixed headlights um and then for no. the yeah they didn't all pop up headlights. Yeah. Well, um, it, and then the sorry, and then the powertrain really quickly. The powertrain, um, which was a five-speed stick on a three-liter engine to a six-speed stick on a three-point-two-liter. Yeah. And and I and I and I and there are some people who would argue that you know having a V six, you know, supercar is um, is not, you know, it is it would also make it uncool, uh, but I instantly point to the fact that you know the the XJ220 was a twin turbo V6, um, and some of the most 
you know, in some of the, the most successful Italian cars, uh, you know, of the 60s and 70s were V6s. The, so, uh, the, G- the GTR R35. Yeah, there you go. That's an inline six. No, no, no. Uh, the, no, the R35. The, uh, the oh, GTR. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. So anyways, so, but, but like I was saying, it's, it, it, it's it's this it's this one thing it's it's honda's it, it, honda looking at it and going no 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 we need to make that softer right it started out being cool and they fixed it so it wasn't cool anymore yes exactly so let us discuss the integra so the integra the reason why the integra type r wasn't cool is because you had the high revving engines with no power on the low end are uncool. Anytime that you have to really, it's the same reason why the S2000 is uncool. And that is the fact that below 4,000 RPMs, you have almost a third of the horsepower available to you below 4,000 RPM. You have to get above 4,000 RPMs to get there. So if you drive it like a grandma, it'll, it'll behave like a grandma's car. Exactly. It's, and it's such a manic enough. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, and, and so that kind of gets us into, you know, how Honda built cars and Honda built cars to, there was, there was such a focus on one reliability, 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 reliability. And it was through that, that they established themselves. But the other thing that they did to kind because Toyota was doing the same thing. Nissan for the most part was doing the same thing. Um, you know, re, you know, with all this, you know, real focus on reliability and so forth. But Honda took it one step further, and Honda really started to put in ergonomics and such a hyper focus on ergonomics. Um, one of the one of the interesting things is is that if you if you take a a 1995 Honda Accord and you and you go from that and then you step immediately into let's say a 2015. Honda Accord. So you separate it by 20 years. The controls of everything will be in almost the exact same spot. Hmm. The the layout will be very similar. Where the air conditioning system is, where the infotainment system is, where the window controls are, where the door locks are, where uh, where where the light control you know switches is almost um, if you look at uh, the angle of the uh, of the left uh, stock on the steering column that, that that does the the turn signals and the lights it's almost the same angle coming out of the steering column <laughs> I mean it's wow. you know. And, and, and that's how Honda, through the 80s, but really the 90s, the 90s solidified Honda 
as 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 a as as a true giant in the marketplace. But but once again, they they never they they never wanted to be the biggest. They never wanted to be the fastest. They just wanted to be the best quality. And 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 that takes us into the two thousands. And we we can't. It's, I'm, glad, I'm glad you you brought us into two thousand. I mean, yeah, the nineties solidified them as being the rock solid car. You know, that drive you can drive the wheels off of it. There was that one guy in upstate New York who drove his Accord, his ninety, I don't know, ninety ninety one over a million miles. But it it was around two thousand when Honda made one of their biggest blunders since they started building cars. Oh, do we have to talk about this? Mm-hmm. They didn't have they they didn't have an SUV. Oh, that. <laughs> yes, that. Okay. Honda's first SUV was a rebadged Isuzu Rodeo. Well, called the Passport, and it was garbage. Caveat. So the first year of the Passport, yes, was garbage, because it was basically just it was a rebadged Isuzu. And, and once again, here's the Honda thing. There's a problem. Let's engineer our way out of it. So through their contract, and they kind of, you know, kind of flex their muscle a little bit with with a Suzu, but through their contract and everything with the Suzu, because the Suzu wanted some stuff, and then you know, and Honda wanted you know an Suzu. Suzu wanted a people mover, and so Honda gave them the uh, the original Odyssey, which is the the four the four door with the where the rear doors swing open, like yep. a regular car. Yep. Yeah, the uh, Suzu Oasis, I think, is what it was called. Yeah. But Honda said, hey, this isn't up to our quality. And starting with year two, Honda got involved in the Isuzu factory for quality control. Honda jumped in. So the later model Honda Passports are actually a pretty decent vehicle. The later model ones, but Honda Honda got in and jumped on that and said, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is this is not how we build a Honda." And Isuzu said, "Well, it's how we build an Isuzu." And Honda went, "Well, no, <laughs> no. I I thought we we were going to talk about um, uh, IMA, Integrated Motor Assist." Well, you might as well hop right in. <sighs> so. So, oh, sorry, I will apologize. I will jump in and then I will let you pontificate. Um, as a quick re- rejoinder from last week. So the term mild hybrid is a derogatory term that Toyota invented that they used as a way to denigrate the, to, the Honda system, which basically said the engine runs all the time, except when the car comes to a stop. We make the engine run so efficiently that the electric motor helps power the car along, but it never runs under electric power by, uh, by itself. Yes. And they were right. They were absolutely correct. Right. It is, it is a marketing term and it is, it, it is misleading to Joe, you know, Joe and Jane hippie who don't know any better. Yes. 
So I, I, and, and, and as much as I love Honda, I do have to admit that the integrated motor assist, even though Honda was the first by about six months ish to the market with a gasoline electric hybrid in the American market with the insight, the two seater um, kind of, kind of funky shaped uh, kind of a thing. Um, still got ridiculous gas mileage. I mean, they were people, I mean, there, there's people that still record, you know, around 70 miles per gallon in their, in their, in their insights, but it was a two seater. It was stupidly light. It was a little bit weird looking. But it, looked, it, it looked like a Star Wars escape pod with wheels on it. It, it did. It did. Not necessarily a bad thing, but um, no one but bought then, it. But then, but yeah, but nobody bought it. And then they came out with the second generation Insight, still an integrated motor assist, but with the body shape of a Prius, the the, the second generation Prius. And nobody bought it. Yeah, that I mean, that's kind of like if you were in the '80s and you looked at Gorbachev and said, "You know what? I want a red spot on my forehead." <laughs> you know, it's like, why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. Um, and then I, I think, I, I think the worst, uh, the the worst integration of the integrated motor assist, um, probably has to be the the just travesty that is the first generation Honda Accord hybrid. It, it <laughs> Oh yeah. It was the, Oh, give me a second. Oh five and Oh six model. I think so. Yeah. It was a V six hybrid and the thing had a ton of power and no efficiency. Yeah. Well, for the time. ton of power for the time. It, it, it did have a ton of power for the time. Here's the only here, here's not the only problem, but here was the here was the biggest problem, is that the gas mileage wasn't great, and neither was the performance. Even though it had a bunch of power, it didn't have a really big performance. Oh, and wasn't it expensive too? It was more expensive. Also, there was I mean yeah. just there was nothing that was being able to go right for that particular car, but. <laughs> And then they just, they held on to it. They tried to get it to work. Um, now, I do have to say this. They did make the switch from nickel metal hydride batteries to lithium ion batteries, um, you know, way before, you know, most of its competition did. Hmm. Um but you know, and but it did produce one of the one of the most fun cars that I've driven of a Honda, um, and that is a CRZ stick shift. You know, I'm really glad you brought that up, and I'm, I don't want to deviate too much, but just for a second, it's worth noting that I did a little research on this, and there have only been three stick shift hybrids sold in America. And all three of them were Hondas. Yeah, the uh, the Insight, the, the the first generation Insight was a stick shift. Uh-huh. It was a stick shift. The first, the first generation uh, Civic Hybrid. Yep. Also, also a five speed. And the CRZ. CRZ six speed. Yep. yep. Six speed. 
didn't uh, didn't do a whole lot for efficiency. But you know, when you're dealing with a stick shift that people felt comfortable with, or you had a you know a clunky five speed automatic, yeah, the stick shift started to look pretty attractive. Yeah. Now I talking about innovation in Honda. So something happened in the late in in the in the late eighties, early nineties. And, and, and there, there was an innovation by Honda that has been now copied. And I think is, I think it's basically just universal that everybody has a version of this. Uh, it's the only way that you can make, you know, the automobiles be able to do what they do with emissions nowadays. So, in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a problem with four-cylinder engines. Um, so you had a lot of four-cylinder engines. They were very underpowered, um, and you had to keep them underpowered because of emission standards. And so a lot of companies went to turbocharging to get performance out of it. Now, Honda wanted to jump into this performance game also. But the problem with turbochargers at the time is they were very unreliable. Where you, where you had to put turbos and what you had to do with them and so forth, the operating temperatures were way too high, and yeah. they would get oil-starved, they would overheat, and, and they would just their, their longevity was not very much. And so Honda created what is known as VTEC, Variable valve timing and lift electronic control. And it is a way of basically having two engines in one. You have a, a low RPM. Um, it, you, you, have, you have a low RPM uh, setting for the intake or for, for the camshaft where it's uh, being fuel efficient and low emissions and so forth. And then once you get up to about 4,500 RPMs. Depends on the engine. The VTEC kicks in. And, and it's like a whole different animal. It becomes a much more aggressive camshaft. But you can do it and still pass emissions because... At, at higher RPMs, your 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 combustion temperatures are so high that it that it's burning much more efficiently. So in, engines at a low RPM are not burning very efficiently, and so Honda was able to do this where they were able to kind of have this variable valve timing and lift uh, control uh, first done by vacuum and oil control and now you know done by you know kind of an electronic actuator type right. of thing well ecus and stuff yeah exactly so it's a lot less noticeable now as it switches you know from one to the other but you can you can still feel it but it's it's not as dramatic as you you know you'll feel that wham like you did when it was mechanically controlled oh yeah but when it was mechanically controlled though when you when you got into it the 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 sense of wow i mean it was just it there's, you know, there's, there, there's really no feeling like it. Now, mind you, you have, you know, you, you have to drive those cars like you absolutely stole them in order to get anything really out of them. Um, 
I, I think the S2000 is probably the best example of that. Well, yeah, the uh, S2000 had a 9,000, well, 8,900 RPM redline, and the VTEC kicked in at 6,500. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. insane. Absolutely insane. Just so you didn't fall out of VTEC when you switched gears. Yeah. Cool looking car, though. Absolutely nice oh, yeah. looking car and, yeah. and fantastic. And and the engine is is a work of art. I mean, you know, it, yeah. it 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 held. So the the S two thousand had more horsepower per liter than any other naturally aspirated vehicle until the Ferrari four five eight. That's amazing. And the Ferrari 458 didn't beat it by a lot. <laughs> and, and those two cars had the same red line. The 458 has twice as many cylinders. It yeah. costs, I don't know, call it 10 times as much at all or close to it. Just incredible that it took that, that level of engineering to, to, to yeah. beat the plucky little Honda. You know, and, and yeah. the Honda, people sometimes forget, this is a uh, longitudinally mounted four-cylinder front mid-engine car yeah i mean everything i mean it's nice and 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 i and i guess it's really kind of fitting because the the s2000 was was the it was their 50th anniversary present to like themselves uh it was it was always meant to be like like a, a limited production vehicle i know tons of people have been you know, clamoring for, oh, you know, bring back the S2000, bring back the S2000 or something like that. And Honda doesn't feel the need to do that. That's just not Honda. You know, well, yeah, while, while we're talking about it too, the, um, so the S2000 was like the first generation NSX, the S2000 had two editions of it. And for the uh, for that model of car, they called it AP1 and AP2. Yep. And the AP1 was a two liter, 8900 RPM redline. And so on and so forth, right? And the second model was a 2.2 liter with an 8,500 RPM red light, more torque down low, lower yeah. VTEC um, switchover. And again, this was a car that got softer. It had less oversteer. They took, they listened to their customers instead of keeping the car cool and did what they thought, you know, would make the car better and just made the car more docile, essentially. But, yeah. you know, Guys who also say the car lasts longer, you know, the uh, the the uh, the gearbox and, and uh, casing for the transmission was better made, the diff is better, and so on. But basically, they just made it more every day, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, yeah, so, anyways, I mean, so when you when, when you when you get to you know, like VTAC, um, which I I personally think VTEC is one of those innovations um, like the electric starter, like intermittent wipers, um, you know, like uh, switching from, you know, from, from planetary gearboxes to regular sliding gears for, for transmissions. Um I think V, you know, and, and along with, uh, you know, gasoline electric hybrid technology, you know, series hybrids, 
I, I think VTech is one of those innovations that makes cars today possible. Everybody has some kind of variable valve timing. Everybody does. You know. So, yeah, so you're saying it's a game changer. It's an automotive game changer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, I can see that. Now, I one of the things that I do, uh, by the way, I, I actually I, I just found uh, the, the, a number from earlier. So um, remember how I was talking about uh, the the Honda Super Cub and, mm-hmm. and and how it's the the number one. Predict- Take a guess. And, I, and I, do you know how many how many have been produced? Super Cubs. Yes. No, I now here's what I do know. I do know that a couple of years ago, Honda made a big announcement because they had built their 600 millionth motorcycle. So yes, um, okay, but just so, the Super Cub itself. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be conservative. I'm gonna say 200 million. You you needed to be a little bit more conservative. It's 100 million, as of as of 2017. 100 million. Still, that's an that's an incredible number. I mean, what what's what did you say uh, a couple weeks ago? With the the uh, best selling, what single nameplate, whatever autom- automobile in history? That was, that was the Corolla, uh, and it was a little over. I think currently, it's sitting at, I think, right about 25 million. So 25, may, maybe 30 million. So Corolla can't even see the Super Cup from where it sits, the Super Cup so far ahead. No, not even close. Not even close. That's just astounding. Yeah. 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 When it yeah, when when we say when we say modern Asia modern industrial Asia was built on the back of a super cub, it, it that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> that's just incredible. Yeah. Delivery vehicles, family vehicles, every, everybody that's you know there's yeah, yeah. There's plenty of pictures of like, you know, you know, a family of three or more riding on a back of a Super Cub kind of a thing. Anyways, but to and and yes, the 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 Honda Accord, you know, it's the most. Uh, it has the most. Uh, I think twenty three. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, Dad, come it. The Honda Accord. You talking about Car Driver Ten Best? Yes. Uh, okay, so the first award was in '83 or '4, so it's been 30. Call it 35 years for sake of argument. It's been something like 31 or 32 out of 35 years. Yeah, it has. It's over 30. Yeah, Car and Drivers. Yeah, sorry, Car and Drivers. 31 times out of the 35 years that Car and Driver has done 10 best. I mean, come on. Now, that doesn't include any of the other Hondas. That doesn't include the Civic, which is on there several times. It doesn't include the Odyssey, which is on there a couple times. The CRV, the Ridgeline, for heaven's sake. Right, the Fit. Yeah, the Fit. But just, just the Accord, you know, being a recipient of Car and Driver's 10 Best, 31 out of 35 years. 
Yeah, I loved my 83, man. That, that car was great to me. Yeah. Uh, you had a just, 2015 that you loved. I, I did. I did. Um, yeah, it was a sport model, which, which definitely helped. But yeah. um, it was, you know. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, and the funny thing about that, the funny story about the sport model was, is that Honda didn't think it would become anything. Oh, in terms of uh, selling, selling numbers? Yeah, which is such a Honda thing. It's so uncool. You're like, well, you know, and now I think, I think every version, I think every single model that Honda makes except for the Insight and the CRV. Yeah, yeah, I think those are the only two that don't come with a sport version now. I think There's I'm correct in that. Nope, Odyssey also. Yep, okay. sorry about that. It's good. Yeah, Odyssey. <clears throat> okay. But yeah, but I mean, you know, it's just, it's it's so... That's pretty um, amazing. Well, to me, the most amazing story about Honda, and this really kind of... Um, and, and and we were going to have to talk about it anyways. Um, one of the one 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 of the darkest times for Honda um, was the Takata airbag. Let's just yeah. call it fiasco, for lack of a better term. Um, it was interesting how that snowballed, wasn't it? How it became like, oh, by the way, and GM has twenty-three million airbags, and and Toyota has forty-five million airbags, and but everybody focused on Honda mainly right. because of the fact that because Honda had, well, they had they had a um, not a I don't think a, a controlling investment in Takata, but they had a huge investment in Takata, um, hmm. in the in the actual company itself. Uh, you know, most of the vehicles affected were Hondas, uh, because m- almost all Hondas had Takata airbags, both their front airbags, curtain airbags, side airbags, whatever. Now, as far as I understand it, and 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 I preface that with, I, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent, you know, in, in the know of all of this type of thing. Uh, but I'll do my best. So the the whole Takata airbag thing happened, um, and 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 the problem is is that so and, and I'm going to get slightly technical, but I'll I'll try to make it as as painless as possible. Map. Um, you have an inflator, which is this uh, this kind of uh, this this chamber with a explosive powder in it kind of a thing. This is what they call propellant. And the propellant, when, when there's an explode, you know, when, when there's an accident, it sends a trigger to the propellant, ignites the propellant, the propellant, uh, the, the propellant uh, explodes, but because it's contained within the chamber, it sends all of that, uh, all of that expanding gases into the actual airbag itself, which comes out as this pillow that catches you as you go forward. The problem that they were having was, is that through some manufacturing defects, 
um, but mostly through the fact that there was no desiccant. There was nothing inside to wick moisture away. And in a lot of humid environments, um, the uh, moisture would get into these, uh, these propellant charges. And what that would do is, is when the airbag, when, when, the, when the spark would happen to ignite the propellant, because it was wet or something kind of or whatever, and you had some corrosion of the actual combustion chamber itself, the, com the, the actual chamber would, uh, would explode. And so instead of this nice cushy airbag catching you, you would have this shrapnel being sent through the airbag into you as the, the person. person. And they actually had, I think they're up to around, around 20, 25 people dead being attributed to this. Um, a really, really bad thing. But when it first came out around 2011, 2012, something around there, anyways, when it was first discovered, um, Honda immediately went to Takata and said, hey, we're seeing this. What's going on? And Takata is like, hey, it's nothing. It's, you know, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a fluke and that type of a thing. And, and they said, you know, you know, and Honda said, okay, well, you know, where's your testing data? And they wanted to see their testing data just to verify, you know, that because, you know, when you're manufacturing something, you know, on a large scale, you want to periodically pull off something off the assembly line, inspect it, look at it, that type of thing, make sure that, you know, things are running smoothly. So they, they kind of showed them the testing data. No, no, everything's okay. Everything's okay. Then all of a sudden, more and more of these things kept happening. And now all of a sudden, the NHTSA is getting involved. Um, the European Union auto, you know, automotive group or whatever they call themselves, the governing body of that, um, got involved. You know, the, 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 the safety people. And, um, and started to really kind of, hey, what the heck is going on? And Honda went to Takata and said, yeah, hey, what the heck is going on? And that's when it was discovered that Takata was lying about their testing. And that's truly when I think the real true character of Honda sh came out. Because they, they had defended Takata um, in, in the very early stages of it. But what they did afterwards, I think it, a, 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 a corporation can really turn to this as an example of how to handle a crisis. Um, because they immediately did uh, above and beyond what was 
necessary because most automotive manufacturers would have just done the absolute minimum or taken the fine or, you know, or, or whatever to just kind of satisfy everything to Honda. This wasn't, this wasn't good enough to Honda. This was a true danger. They went through, they not only did a recall of all of the airbags that were affected by this. They then started doing recalls of all Takata airbags, even the side curtain airbags, the, 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 the side airbags, all of them, passenger airbags, every single one of them. They quit uh, produce. They quit, quit installing Takata airbags in, in, in all Honda cars. But this wasn't good enough for Honda. They then, um, and, and I, rem- <laughs> I, I remember talking to somebody and, and they asked me this question and I was like, no, that's, that, that doesn't sound right. And then it turned out to be absolutely correct. And that is that because Honda couldn't get, because Honda's last so freaking long, you know, Honda's will be sold two, three, four, five times over. You know, I mean, I mean there, there, there's plenty of stories of people who have sold Hondas with 200,000 miles on them. And 10 years later, the car's still running. So, Honda had a hard time getting a hold of people, um, you know, who, you know, just through mailing, uh, you know, or, you know, because they would try to go through DMV records to find these people and stuff, which is what's required. But then Honda, when they couldn't get a hold of them via email or, 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 or uh, not, not email, uh, through, through mailing, or if they had an email address, they would try to send an email or whatever. They would then go door to door. They would really? get the last. The, yeah, they 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 had several teams of people who would go out with last known addresses of registration of VINs, would go to that address to find out what's going on with the car. Where's the car? Did you sell the car? Who'd you sell it to? We need their contact information. Wow. And. Th- and then that wasn't good enough for them. They then took the, ex- the, the other additional step, got teams of people together to go junkyard to junkyard, removing Takata airbags so that they couldn't be used on a secondhand market. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their efforts to remove all Takata airbags from Hondas. The other thing that was impressive is the fact that replacements, airbag replacements, they, they worked with several companies. Now, mind you, they did all of this at a cost to them. 
there was no discussion of, hey, how can we do this cost effectively? Hey, what is this going to do to the bottom line? As soon as they discovered that Takata was being, that Takata was misrepresenting and was basically essentially lying, they, they had no second thought about oh, hey, this is a problem, you know, hey, this is a, this is a PR problem or anything like that. They just said, we, we need to get rid of all of these. We need to round them all up. And not only that, but they, they got with manufacturers to, to build replacements, safe replacements. And they had replacement airbags faster than any other manufacturer. To put that into perspective, Honda had replacement airbags within two months of the first announcement that they were recalling airbags. Ford had replacements, I think, like 18 months to two years later. Wow. Honda also had a program where if you felt unsafe, they would give you a loaner car until they could get the work done on your car. Hmm. I mean, just absolutely unheard of. But that's, that's I mean... That, and and, and, and and I don't want to get wishy-washy or anything like that, but that's just how Honda does stuff. It's not cool, but it's... I mean, is it possible to be awesome without being cool? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? So, anyways. So, moving on. Um, let's get into what Honda's doing now. Okay, so... Uh, one thing I want to talk about, and, and this, this is still nerdy, but it's a little more interesting, I think, to the general public, is uh, a year or two ago, correct me on this, um, Honda introduced their 10-speed automatic transmission. Oh. Not long after Ford and GM introduced their 10-speed uh, automatic transmission. What was different about Honda's was Honda's been making transmissions in-house pretty much since the very beginning, but this is the first automatic transmission Honda has ever made with a planetary gear set. Yes. Every single awesome. automatic they made before this was simply a manual transmission, the sliding gear traditional manual transmission with, with an assembly in it that moved the clutch in an automatic manner to, to, to create a, you know, a clutchless transmission system. Yeah. Well, and, and, know, they, no and they've had give and take you know, they've had some success, they've had some failures. Uh, I know, like uh, the 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 the, the mid two thousands, um, for some of you know on some of their V sixes. Yeah, the yeah yeah the five speed. Uh, yeah, the 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 gist of it is, it was just fine when you put it into into a four cylinder because the amount of uh, power and torque that the four cylinder was producing. But the minute you put it in a V six, it just overwhelmed it, and then it would yeah. just just eat the gears for lunch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was also, but, but the 10 speed was also, so yes, the, the others were producing 10 speeds also, 
but they were all longitudinal. They were all rear drive platforms. Honda was the first with a 10-speed front-wheel drive. Oh, yeah. Good point. So well, it's like ZF right there. Their ubiquitous eight-speed transmission. That's that's the eight HP. It's actually called the eight HP kit because there's so many versions of it. But um, that's their that's their de facto uh, longitudinal transmission. But the minute you go transverse, you get the nine-speed, which has yep. had a checkered history um, with both Honda and FCA. Um, uh, one of the FCA models, I can't, some kind of, I think it was the, just the regular Cherokee had something like 13 software updates for that transmission in the first two years. Um, so yeah, and uh, and and because Honda on uh, like on their pilots, uh, they weren't satisfied with uh, with how it was, and so when they did the refresh on the pilot for 2019, uh, Honda didn't do a software update. Honda redid the entire valve body. <laughs> nice and such an improvement such an improvement you know i i mean just the 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 kind of periodic herky-jerky uh, especially at low rpm or, or low speeds with that nine speed in the early pilots yeah um but but also i'd have to i'm really impressed with honda's um autonomous i mean it's not to the level of of a of, of like a Tesla or anything like that. I mean, you I mean, mean not, Honda? yeah, Honda sensing. Level two autonomy. Yeah, it's not level two autonomy yet. Oh, it's not. But... Okay, I thought it was. I thought it was called level two. My mistake. Level no, one. Yeah, level. Okay. Well, no. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Level two. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it is level two, because you can, um, it, it it's it guides your hands with the yeah. with the steering. Yeah. The steering is I, I I think with a little bit of tweaking, you could possibly take that that lane keep assist feature and because of of of, of how of how good it is, um I, I think you could almost make that level three. Just you know, just just, just that part of it is could be potentially level three. Okay. The, the adaptive cruise control is 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 really decent, um, but not quite all the way to a level three. Definitely level early, you know, lower level two. No, there's there's some there's some pretty amazing stuff. Um, the other thing that, and this is engine nerdy stuff for just for a minute, but that the the single overhead cam, three and a half liter V six. That Honda uses because single overhead cam is a lot smoother, um, makes almost as much power as the dual overhead cam V6s that everybody else is using. Yes, and, and that's yeah, that's that's pretty. That is pretty cool, and I believe in the in in just the Honda is not talking about Acura because we'll talk about Acura in just a second here, um, but. But in all the Hondas, I believe there's still sequential port fuel injection. They're not direct injection. Oh, the um, uh, the three and a half liter V six. Yeah. Oh no. Um, the if the engine is a two hundred and eighty horsepower, that's direct injection. If it's less than two eighty, it's port fuel injection. Okay. So all right. So so then all the V sixes now are 
or yeah. the direct injection. Okay, so yes. they've all switched over to the direct injection. Yeah, okay. the Windows the 280 with the 262 pound feet. That's the yeah. yeah that's the, the new uh, injection system. Yeah. Um, and and but, the turbos uh, are you know the uh, the turbos are using on the Civics and the Accord. <gasps> yeah. Really nicely. Yeah. And then. And they still make manual transmissions. They do, and quite a few of them. You have the Fit is still available in a manual transmission. Uh, the Civic on several different trims is still available as a manual transmission. And remarkably, the Accord is yeah. available in the manual transmission in both the 1.5 base engine and the 2.0 turbo. I don't know how far you have to go back in the Camry to find a manual transmission, but I'll bet it's pretty far. Is it available in a manual transmission? At one point, I don't know how far back you have to go. Oh, years-wise, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have to go back several generations. Probably, I think. Yeah, I'd say probably yeah, two generations ago, if I had to guess. Yeah, yeah like now, of course, only the Corolla and the and the Tacoma. Yeah, now of course we have to talk about because we are a car channel, and I almost don't want to, but I think we have to. We have to discuss the Type R. This, the which, new, which the 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 10th gen type r the first civic type r in the united states okay so you mean the civic you mean the type r version of the 10th gen civic yes because apparently the nerds get really up in arms about that because no man it's a fourth gen type r it's just the 10th gen civic it's based on or whatever yeah. it is anyway yeah. yes which, well, those are the, the people that the internet guys call Civic X X, right? For 10th gen Civic. Yeah, yeah, we're we're not, you know, it's just quit 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 trying to be cool, guys. Um, yeah, so so there were some heat problems, right, with the engine. Um, a couple yeah, he, of yeah, took out the track. Yeah, and heat soap. apparently they they fixed that, um, yeah. or at least Honda claims that they have. I'll tell you, I sat in one. I haven't driven one, but I sat in one, and it is. To this day, the most comfortable seat on a car I have ever been in, and that includes the Maseratis that I was in. Wow, it was yeah, just so good. It it is nice. I do have one caveat with a seat though. Once you get in, it's a really nice seat. I have yet to get into a Type R, a Civic Type R, and not rack myself with the side bolstering. Of the lower part of the seat, <laughs> I just I can't do it. I can't. Maybe, maybe it's because you're built like a hobbit. Th- that that could be, that could be. Thank you for bringing that I up. I don't have any problems. Yep. Um, but um, oh, the shifter is excellent too. Oh, that shifter is excellent as long as it hasn't been sitting out in the sun. Well, yeah, change the shift knob for God's sakes. The aluminum shift oh. knob is a, is a, is torture waiting to happen. Both that and the SI, it's just it. It's 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 like, you know, would you like to grab a ball of you know molten lava in your hand and try to now shift and operate a vehicle? Apparently, Honda. I I haven't. I don't remember where I saw this. I can't remember where I saw it. But apparently, there's now an a a Type R shift knob from Honda that's trimmed in red Alcantara. Yes, which is the worst idea ever, because well, because Alcantara wears out so fast. Well, Alcantara wears out really fast, but also the oils from your hands 
are going to get on it and stain it, and it will look horrible within about three months. There's always that. You could just not drive it and then be one of those guys. Yeah. But But, uh, the other thing I want to talk about – go ahead. You would miss out on one of the – on the best handling – um, I, I think it's up to about 27 tracks around the world that it holds the lap record for the front wheel drive. I mean, the car itself is just absolutely amazing. We, we did now, talk about that on previous podcasts a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But to get to the point of why it isn't cool, why it isn't cool, because it has three exhaust tips in the back and the center exhaust tip is to <laughs> – is to counter a droning noise, which happens when you have just the two exhaust tips. And so it kind of does this counterbalancing uh, sound wave thing. See, I, I feel uncool even talking about this. Right. If you have to explain it, it's not cool. Yes, okay. exactly. So um, anyway, moving uh, on. So there's, there's also some really neat renders for those of us who are over the age of 12, who would really prefer that the Type R didn't have a massive rear wing on it. And there's some really cool spy shots of what looks like a Civic Type R with a really small understated wing that kind of reminds me of the one on the Civic SI Coupe that's currently out. Um, that just looks so much more grown up. Well, I, I definitely have to say that the Civic SI Coupe is probably the most tasteful looking Honda Honda makes right now. Hmm, okay. Um, because it, the, the, the coupe shape itself that Honda got with that, with, with the, with the tension civic is, is really good. I love the taillights, how the taillights come up and around and almost all the way across. Um, they, you know, they, they kind of fade red, you know, especially at nighttime, they kind of fade. Oh, yeah. I think the coupe at night. Yeah. It's <clears throat> yeah, right. Not just the SI, all the coupes have that light. Yeah. Yeah, but just kind of, but then the SI adds that really tasteful, simple wing to the back that just kind of gives it the thing of, hey, this thing means business type of thing. I just think with, with the, with the type R, they just kind of went, you know, cause it does actually provide downforce. Um, you know, it actually does work. All of the body stuff is functional for the most part. Um, but in the, including that big, huge freaking rear wing, but I think you could have done it more tastefully. Oh, you certainly couldn't have done it less tastefully. So I'm, I'm sure you could have figured out, (laughs) dial it back a bit. Um, you know, but, um, but okay. We definitely need to kind of wrap this up. We we have to do accurate as a separate bit, um, because you and I are both parents. And we have to do this at night, but um, it's. Well, it's, it's I, really I, I think we can simply say with Acura, Acura is confused as to who it is, and I don't think they've really kind of figured that out yet. They make a really good SUV. It's 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 a Japanese Audi, right? With Japanese reliability, they make a yeah. really good SUV, and nothing else matters. Yeah, basically, and they, make, and they make a sports car that no one buys, just like the R8. Yep. So I think that's Acura done. Yep, that, that'll cover Acura pretty much. You know, yep. um, they were good when their names had real words in them, and ever since then, not so much. Yeah. But I mean, it, and I and 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 I, and I think we can kind of end on this. I mean, Honda has said that 
um, electrification will um, will be all the way across by 2025. Uh, oh, really? They've really? Yeah, they've really kind of stepped up in that. Um, I one of if you go back to our one of our predictions is is that by the end of the year, uh, Honda will have announced that they are finally bringing the CRV hybrid to America. Um, it's actually really popular and selling very well in uh, in in Europe and in uh, Canada. Um, <clears throat> and so, it, you know, they're just kind of pressing forward with just making really awesome products um, to the point of where, you know, the, the, the Honda CRV has some of the, you know, especially compared to its competitors, it has not a whole lot of incentives. You know, Honda really hasn't put any like, you know, like rebates or like interest rates or anything like that really on it. Uh, since it came out for 2017 and it's still the number one selling SUV retail in America. Hmm. You know, it says a lot for the brand. Absolutely. And I think, uh, I, I think Honda will have, uh, very good things for the future. Anything else, Matt? Nope. All right. Well, broom, broom, everybody. Talk to you guys later.